Would you please stand with me, friends, and turn in your Bibles to Colossians chapter 3 as we read the Lord's Word. We have been in Colossians. Um, some of you have got a family of children up here, got a family over here with children, got children back there. You would have thought that I hired these families to come in today because of the passage we're dealing with. I assure you that we just, we just take one, one passage at a time, and in God's providence, he brought your children here to listen to a sermon. <laughs> if you will listen again to the Lord's word as we are reading verses 18 through uh, chapter 4, verse 1. Wives, be subject to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be embittered against them. Children, be obedient to your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing to the Lord. Fathers, do not exasperate your children so that they will not lose heart. Slaves, in all things, obey those who are your masters on earth, not with external service as those who merely please men, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, do your work heartily as for the Lord, rather than for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance. It is the Lord Christ whom you serve, for he who does wrong will receive the consequences of the wrong which he has done, and that without partiality. Masters, grant to your slaves justice and fairness, knowing that you too have a master in heaven. My friends, this is the Lord's word. Would you please be seated? Again, Father, we thank you for your word and thank you for the sweetness of the body of Christ and being able to assemble. I pray, Lord, that your blessing be upon your word as it is opened up. We pray that we would see the Lord Jesus. And I pray, Father, especially for our children and especially for our fathers in this congregation, that your blessing will be upon them and that we would not allow our children to run the way of the world, but that we would love them enough to direct them to the feet of our Savior. We ask that you would give their, their minds and their hearts and their um, backsides ability to sit and listen. Help them, we pray now, and ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. So we have examined in the last few weeks the duty of wives towards their husbands and that of husbands towards their wives. This morning, we come now to the apostles' instructions to children in the church and their duty towards their parents, um, and to the care that fathers in particular are to show to their children. And, and as I mentioned, I, I preach ex expositorily, so we just go through the scriptures and unfold it. There are some passages uh, that are very plain with the gospel message. They're very right there on the surface the nuggets are here and then as you come into the end of, of, a, of a passage of scripture or a book oftentimes in Paul's epistles the first half is is dedicated to the indicative the truth and then the back halves of his epistles are devoted to the imperative or the commands the therefores because of all the, these things that Jesus Christ has done for us this is now how we are supposed to live we must remember that these commands that the apostle is writing to the church are, are not given apart from the gospel of Christ, but because of the gospel of Christ. My fear when visitors come in at these portions of the, the passages that you're going to hear the pastor say, go home and be better people. 
The fact of the matter is, you're not better people. You're just as wretched as the rest of us. And we are not telling you to go home and improve yourself. We're telling you to rest in Jesus Christ and live in a life of gratitude for what he has done. Wives are supposed to subject themselves to their husbands because it is what the Lord has instructed. They do so because of what Christ has done, and they do so in the power of the Spirit. Men are to love their wives and not to become embittered towards them because it is what the Lord Jesus himself has modeled. It is what the Lord has instructed of men, and we do so because he did this for us when he laid down his life for us. We, too, perform this love, live this love because of this power, the power of the Spirit indwelling us. And these things are not as a striving to merit favor from God. Rather, this is us demonstrating thankful obedience to our God who sacrificed his son that we may know life. That's very important. Otherwise, if you just try to do these things, you will be so frustrated. You will either end up very proud Look at me, look at how I'm doing, or you will end up in great despair because you can never perform well enough for the Lord. So then, now, as we come to these two verses, verses uh, 20 and 21, uh, the apostle gives further instruction to a third group involved in the home, and that is children. Children, can I have your eyes and your attention, please? You should all be looking at me because all of you are children. (laughs) I just thought of that all by myself. Um, Listen again to the scriptures here. Very important. Children, be obedient to your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing to the Lord. Fathers, do not exasperate your children so that they will not lose heart. A very interesting little phrase here where he says, Children, be obedient to your parents in all things. Children are the fruit of the union of a man and a woman. Um, Children are considered a blessing, according to Scripture, Psalm 127. And should the the Lord open the womb of a woman, uh, it is a blessing from the Lord. We do want to point out that marriage, my friends, is the place, the proper place for children. I read a statistic this week that 40% of all childbirth is now outside of the bonds of wedlock. Not a good thing. Clearly not a good thing. Not, not God's design. Listen to our confession of faith as they speak about marriage. They say marriage was ordained for the mutual help of husband and wife, for the increase of mankind with a legitimate issue, and of the church with a holy seed, and for preventing of uncleanness. <sighs> marriage is the place to have children. And if you're going to be married, you should have children. If the Lord closes your womb, obviously you can't have children. But children is one of the reasons for why we get married. We raise up children to know the Lord. It's one of the greatest ways to evangelize. You have those children, and you have an audience at the dinner table. You have an audience in the garage or in the yard, and you speak to them when they rise up, when you sit down, as, as, as Moses would write about in Deuteronomy 6. God said to the man and the woman, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. Your children may have and likely were, many of them, were unplanned by you. And I just gripes me 
when we hear people say, well, it was an accident. And I go, yeah, maybe by you. But right, biblical Christians, we know there's no such thing as a haphazard, unplanned life from the perspective of heaven. That it's the Lord who gives us our children. They are wonderfully made. They are ordained by God, fearfully and wonderfully, woven together by the Lord in the womb of their mothers. You children, listen to me. Look at me. And, I, and I'm really being very specific when I say this because, as your parents know, these notions are under attack in our culture now. Where children are just, you're just an accident. There's no purpose. There's no plan. That's hogwash. The Lord has a plan and a purpose for your lives. Each of you is a precious gift from the Lord. That's very important. I want you to remember this. Each of you children is a precious gift from the Lord to your parents. You realize that. It's a great responsibility, a weighty responsibility, but you are a precious gift from the Lord. You are a very important part of the church as well. And I want you to notice this, that the apostle directs attention and instruction towards the children, not towards animals. Every week, every week, I'm so inflamed with these things, how people make animals and put them on the level of children. Friends, that shouldn't be. I'm sorry. We're supposed to be good stewards. I hope your horses don't come to the dinner table. (laughs) I'm sure they don't. I'm not against stewardship. I'm really not. And I'm, I'm all for it. You can ask my wife. I sob like a baby whenever we have to put down one of our stupid cats. I love cats and I love dogs. But I love my children a whole lot more as should you. I think that's the biblical mindset. We are called stewards. We are to take dominion. But children are so much more than just an animal. And, and, and notice that the apostle here, he addresses his attention towards the children. Why would this be? Many children in our culture are shuffled out of the church out of the worship service. I know it's inconvenient when you see little children jumping around and hopping around and they're singing extra long or extra loud. Oh, bother. You understand what a blessing this is and you should rejoice that children are in the worship service. Do you remember when you were little and you couldn't sit still? Do you remember that? I do. And I'm awfully thankful for the people who put up with me. Until, until finally the Lord got a hold of me and awakened me to my need of the Lord Jesus. And then it wasn't just a big nap time. It was a very important time for me to hear the word of the Lord. Don't despise having children in the worship service. Please don't. It's so important, as we read from Psalm 78, one generation tells another generation about the mighty works of the Lord. That's our job. It's our privilege it's our privilege, and yet many churches will send children out because they, they say and they reason like this, well, they can't comprehend or benefit or contribute to the worship service anyway. Listen, if, if children couldn't learn, why is it that the Lord in his providence decided to have them learn language at, at the earliest ages, at the earliest years of their life? They have minds that are sponges. I know that they don't sit still, but don't think for a second they can't absorb everything that's going on. And even if, and I had a professor who said this, even if they only come away with 30% of what's said, they're still 30% off, better off than they were when they came in. 
but we send our children off. We say that they don't contribute. All this is done, I believe, is send a message to children, I'm convinced, that either God is not important enough to demand your attention or that your souls don't need to be troubled at these young years for you uh, to consider the claims of Jesus Christ. And that's that age of accountability thing. Beware of that. We are born in sin. We're accountable from the moment that we're conceived. We don't wait until they're 12 to decide that they're sinning or that they need a savior. The Lord himself said in Matthew 19, 14, let the children alone. He said this to his disciples, and he further says, and do not hinder them from coming to me, for the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. Children are an important part of the covenant community. They were in the Old Testament, as you read in Ezra 10. It was the parents, it was the adults, it was the children who gathered to sit under the reading of the word, and they are considered important to the covenant community in the New Testament. And this is why the apostle here addresses the children. Furthermore, this is why uh, the apostle speaks as he does in 1 Corinthians 7.14, which states, For the unbelieving husband is sanctified through his wife, who was a believing woman, and the unbelieving wife is sanctified through her believing husband. For otherwise your children are unclean, but now they are holy. They're holy. They're set apart. There is something extra special about the children of believing parents. This is why we baptize our babies, because God is doing something with these children, having them sit and to be exposed to the means of grace and giving them to Christian parents. This doesn't mean that they are sinless. It doesn't mean that they are without need of discipline or instruction or in need of much patience. And certainly, we do not believe that baptism removes original sin. It's a picture that they are engaged to the Lord, that they belong to the Lord. I used to say to my children before I dropped them off, you're baptized with the Lord's water, with his baptism. His sign is on your, in your flesh. Now, live as a person who is engaged to the Lord, that you belong to the Lord. I say this to them all the time because I was always concerned that they might forget to whom they belonged. Children are cute, but they are fallen. They are dead in their sins. David says this in Psalm 51.5, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin my mother conceived me. This is truth. Paul here is addressing covenant children, children in the church. And though it applies to all children everywhere, most particularly it applies to these children who are raised knowing there is a God to whom they will answer and who know that Christ the Son is necessary for salvation and who are indwelt by the Spirit of God. Don't you find that a bit interesting? If children weren't important to the church and necessary of care, why would the apostle take time to even address them? And yet he does. He does because they're important. They are important. The term children here is not uh, given to any specific age. It does not regard the sex of the child. It applies equally to male and female. Sometimes, however, boys, as soon as they start getting taller than their mothers, believe that they can start bossing their mom around. We don't do that, <laughs> especially your mother. Don't do that. And it's how they strut their stuff. And yet notice again, 
speaking to the children, be obedient to your parents in all things. Why? Why be obedient to them? Because it is God's order. That's the first reason we give you. It is God's order. It is the parent's job to care for you. And I want to encourage you parents as well not to give up the privilege of shaping your children in this next generation and do not hand over this privilege to our godless government. Again, we've heard it. We've raised five children. We did a mixture of homeschooling and public schooling and Christian schooling. My children have such a patchwork of education. It's incredible. And I remember when our children were little thinking that we're just not qualified to raise these children. And my one daughter in particular had a very difficult time reading. The teacher said, go home and teach her to read. And we're like, we're trying. She had dyslexia pretty bad. And, and I remember thinking, how are we going to do this? How can we do this? And I thought to myself in a moment of clarity, nobody loves that child like its mother does. And I remember thinking, we're striking out here on our own, and we're going we're gonna to do this. And it dawned on me that we have everything we need to raise these children. You do not need McDonald's. You do not need $180,000 per child like they tell you you've got to do all these things. You know what a child needs? It needs a mother and a father who will love them enough to tell them the truth and point them to Jesus Christ. Give them baloney. That would actually be a treat in my household. Um, give them food, give them clothing, love them in the Lord, and point them to the Lord. This is what parents are supposed to do. Do, do not hand this privilege over to the government. The Lord has called you to shape them, to nurture them, and to form their worldview. And yes, you do know and do have what it takes to do this. And by the way, because I am not against people working in the public school, I would say you need to be praying for those Christian men and women who are teaching in public schools, and you need to promote and support that which is good, and you need to oppose that which is evil. A school board meeting is coming up on the 20th. And if you don't have children in the public school, you are still spending money in the public school. I was told by the local tax assessor that roughly 80% of our property taxes go to the public school and the, the community college. 80, 80%, 8-0. It's important that you be involved. It is your parents who will not, friends, uh, only keep you alive, but they will cause you to thrive. Listen to what the Apostle Paul says in Ephesians 6, 1 through 3. Children, obey your parents in the Lord. For this is right, honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a praise or a promise, rather, so that it may be well with you and that you may live long on the earth. Parents are, if you will, a means of grace. It's one of the ways that the Lord helps us. It's one of the ways that the Lord helps you stay alive to keep you from dying, giving you food and shelter and protection. They give you discipline for your good, like Proverbs 22 or Hebrews 12 speaks about. And they instruct us in what is right, that is, in the things of the Lord. They're important for us. And so, therefore, says Paul, you should be obedient to them in all things. This is a command. It is not an option for you. It is the Lord's instruction. You are to hearken, that is, to listen to their commands. You are to obey them. 
um, says the Spirit via the Apostle in all things. I want to give you examples of obedience, of the kinds of obedience that the Lord calls you to towards your parents. In Matthew chapter 8, verses 23 through 27, we read about the apostles who are stuck in a storm. And we are told that Jesus rebuked the winds and the sea, and it became perfectly calm. The men were amazed and said, What kind of a man is this that even the winds and the sea obey him? Jesus spoke, and the wind and the waves obeyed. He rebuked them, and they stopped. They didn't grumble. And I'm saying this for the children's benefit, because I've seen this, I've been there, and I've had children, is when your parents tell you to do something, you drag your feet and go, oh. like this is the worst thing in the world, that they're requiring children. You want to make your home pleasant? What makes your parents happy? Obey them without fighting against them, without making it a problem for them. Obey them. Secondly, listen to Mark 1, 23 through 27. Again, we read of Jesus being in the synagogue as he is preaching and teaching as one with authority. Uh, he casts out a demon. This is what was said. They were all amazed so that they de uh, debated among themselves, saying, what is this? A new teaching with authority. He commands even the unclean spirits and they obey him. Remember that? And Jesus would command a demon to come out, and what would the demon have to do? The demon, an enemy of the Lord Jesus, they too even would have to obey. And this is the very word that the apostle uses for children to obey their parents. Obey them. When they tell you to do something, you do it. In the household of faith, this is how we operate. In the Christian home, this is how we're supposed to carry ourselves, and we are supposed to do them in all things. And I want to define this for us, because all of a sudden, as soon as we say in all things, we think to ourselves, well, what if they tell us to sin? And that always comes up. What if they tell us that we're supposed to sin? What it means is, when he says in, in all things, it means in things that are pleasant and agreeable, as as well as those things that are disagreeable and not so pleasant. So, for example, if your parents say, get in the truck, we're going to get ice cream, you get in the car. You don't even hesitate. You're like, okay, sometimes you forget your shoes. You get in the car because you're so happy. And then other times, your parents tell you to put your dishes in the sink before you go and clean your room. And you say, I don't like that one. He's not making a differentiation in all things. You're supposed to obey your parents. Parents will tell you what they want you to do. Often they will be things indifferent or pleasant, and at other times they will not be so pleasant. And, and, um, in fact, sometimes they are just downright difficult. In good or in difficult, you're supposed to obey your Lord, the, obey your parents um, without dragging your feet. What it doesn't mean and what he is not saying, he is not saying to obey them in sin. Now, I give you an example of this. I once caught, I worked at a grocery store, and I caught a seven or eight-year-old boy who was shoplifting. The first thing that, that stood out was the fact that it was a, the middle of July. It was very hot, and he had on a winter jacket. That was a dead giveaway. Something was not right. So I watched him, and he stole uh, a package of tape or something. And I took him, and I took him to the office of our store manager. 
and a woman followed me into the office and it turns out that the mother was the woman and she instructed her little boy to go steal. That little boy should have said, no mom, I will not steal. I will not steal. You are not to obey your parents when their instruction contradicts that of the Lord's instruction. And friends, that's the truth for all of us. I am to give my allegiance to nobody other than Jesus Christ. Be it parents, governments, whatever it is, we are to obey God as opposed to men. Parents must be very careful not to encourage their children to instruct them or give example to them of what would encourage sin. You parents should never encourage, endorse, or condone evil. We must all fear the Lord above all, and in fact, um, we should be very careful in what we instruct them in. Again, we see in our news, we see drag shows being performed, and we see all of these things, and there's all these parents with their little children at these godless events. What are they doing? What are we promoting? We're teaching our children to steal. You catch this as well. Parents, uh, go get that package off that neighbor's front porch and let's steal it. Let's see what's in it. We encourage them in unholy speech and we encourage them with resentments. Parents have to be very careful what you instruct your children in. Jesus said this in Luke 17. He said to his disciples, It is inevitable that stumbling blocks come, but woe to them, to him through whom they come. It would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were thrown into the sea than that he would cause one of these little ones to stumble. Do you see the importance here? Children, do you understand? When mom and dad tell you to do something, you do it without delay. You obey them. And why should you do it, he says, because this is well-pleasing to the Lord. And we have mentioned the fact that because if we listen to our parents, we might live long in the, the land that the Lord is giving us or live long on the earth. Or it might be that we obey our parents and it makes them, them very happy. We read this in Proverbs 23. The father of the righteous will greatly rejoice and he who sires a wise son will be glad in him. Let your father and your mother be glad and let her rejoice who gave birth to you. But he does not say this as noble as, and as just as these would be. He instructs them to be obedient for this is well-pleasing to the Lord. Obedience to your parents is pleasing to the Lord. It is what he wants of you, the one who died to redeem you. Again, the work of Christ doesn't abolish order. It doesn't set us free in order to indulge our flesh, but sets us free to serve and to please the Lord. Jesus said in John 10, 10, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. There is no greater reason for any of us uh, that, we, that can be given other than to please the Lord. Did you know, did you children know that obeying your parents actually is a way that we can please the Lord, not unto salvation, but it's what he's called us to in the Lord, that it makes him happy when we obey mom and dad, and it does. In Christ, this is possible. Now, I want to have, the again, the children's attention very pointedly at this point. I was a little covenant child. I was baptized by my grandfather, a Presbyterian minister, at about three months old. I grew up in the church almost every single Sunday. 
I was one of those children who grew up in the church and it had become so commonplace. Again, as I've mentioned before, I knew where the candy was in the secretary's drawer. I knew the people in the church and everyone assumed that I was just a good little boy. Do you know I didn't come to know the Lord until I was 14 years old? That's 14 years of sitting under the means of grace and my ears were stopped. Don't think for a second, children. Don't think for a second that because your parents bring you to church that that makes you a Christian. I really want to caution you. Do not say, I've been baptized, therefore I'm good with God. Baptism does not save you. It will never save you. It's never saved anyone. You children, do you know Jesus Christ? Do you listen to the sermons? Do you listen to your parents warning you about the judgment to come on sin? And do you flee the wrath of God to believe upon Jesus Christ and be saved? Because I tell you, there are many people sitting in congregations across the nation hearing preachers preach who will die and go to hell because they never believed the word that was preached. So you children, please hear me, your pastor. Believe upon the Lord Jesus. He's the friend of sinners. He is the best friend you will ever have because no friend is ever so great who who doesn't give up his life for his friends and that's what Jesus Christ did for the sinner. And don't look at your parents' faith as though their faith is going to save you. You must believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Please hear me when I say these things. I don't want you children to grow up and not know the Lord. And that would be a very easy thing to happen because you live a semblance of a disciplined and good life. But good people don't go to heaven. Only righteous people do. And the only righteous people you will ever find are those bathed in the blood of Jesus Christ. His righteousness given to your account. Very important. And so then we have this final instruction, which I deem is quite important to fathers. Fathers in regard to their children and obedience. He says, don't exasperate your children. Again, fathers, listen to me. Fathers, do not exasperate your children so that they will not lose heart. Again, why does the apostle address fathers? It is either because they are the heads of their homes, and so they as heads should ensure uh, this exasperation doesn't happen, or it is because fathers are more prone to exasperating their children than the mothers who have this very strong and maternal bond with their children. The command given is that you mustn't exasperate your children. Men can be and very often are too harsh and too demanding with their children. To exasperate means here in this context to provoke, to cause irritation or annoyance, or to excite to anger. Now I can hear you fathers. I've heard it before. I've said it, I think. What? How can they not know that I don't love them? Of course I love them. They should know this. I mean, I work hard. I provide, says the father. What's not to love? Of course they know I love them. And this seems to be this this cultural assumption that fathers are somehow expendable, that fathers are portrayed as being unnecessary, not so important, and many women would just as soon rather have their men be quiet and go away. 
You're messing up the home. You're messing up our plan. Hogwash. Have you ever noticed the difference between men and women? Do you see what fathers do with their children? They take them at the earliest weeks and they throw them in the air. Now, that's a funny thing, but every culture does it. Why is that? It's because fathers are just as necessary as mothers, and they nurture in different ways. You fathers are important. You are important in the lives of your children. You need to be involved in the lives of your children. You are not expendable. Several weeks back, I mentioned in regard to women that the hand that rocks the cradle rules the world. We might say of fathers that the hand that rests upon the child is the the one that conquers the world. Have you ever noticed the difference between a man who has a father involved in his life and a man who didn't? The man who has a father in his life with his hand on his back saying, no, son, this way, do it this way. This was good. This was not good. Let's try this. That man grows up with a certain amount of confidence that the man without a father in his life um, is missing. Fathers and mothers are indispensable to the well-being of a child. Fathers, you can make a child soar like an eagle, or you can cause him to lose heart just as fast. Paul warns fathers of exasperating our children, of exciting them to anger. How does this happen? For a complete list, which I'm not going to read, from the Westminster Larger Catechism regarding the Fifth Commandment, questions 129 and 30, excellent, excellent instruction there. I want to give a few things uh, that I believe exasperate children, and it's when we neglect to train them with consistent and loving instruction, including disciplining them. That is spanking their little bottoms. That's a vital part of discipline. Not out of control, not beating them, throwing them against a wall. We're not talking about that kind of thing. We're talking about biblical discipline. There's rod, a rod that, that, that drives foolishness out of the heart. By neglecting these things, you leave that child to the inclinations of his flesh and he ends up being exasperated. Fathers, your children should fear you. They should not be terrified by you. I'll state that again. Your children should fear you. You're not their buddy. But they shouldn't be terrified by you either. The Westminster Confession of Faith in addressing the Lord's Prayer, our Father who art in heaven, they say, why do they style it as Father? It's a beautiful because he's approachable, he's kind, he's loving. That's the epitome of what a father is called to be. He's approachable, he's loving. Fathers should be this way. We exasperate them, we make them angry when we abdicate and are not involved in their lives, when we are too busy or when we are involved in too many hobbies, when we have not grown up ourselves. And we neglect to be involved in their lives, we exasperate them. When we don't encourage them when they do good, but only get after them when they mess up. You knucklehead. Always doing something stupid. You understand how those words destroy? By not putting appropriate weight on appropriate things and straining at gnats and swallowing camels. By requiring them 
to sin and embracing them when they sin and, and treating it as though this is a good thing by requiring of them things they are not yet capable of doing or beyond their abilities or their well beyond their comfort level, not leading them to the Lord. More on this in a second. Not praying for them and with them. And, and above all, not asking forgiveness of them when you sin against them. When we fail to ask forgiveness of our children, when we sin against them, you are creating something bad. All of these and more are injurious to our children and provoke them to anger. And the result is, is that they lose heart, says Paul. The gospel, again, the truth of Christ, what he has set us free from in our flesh, how he is supreme over all things, how he redeems us as he has, all of these things set in play order in the home. It's the very thing, friends, that we are called to give ourselves to in the home. Here, he says that when fathers, when fathers uh, exasperate their children, they lose heart. This is, they become dispirited, they are broken in spirit. They can never satisfy you. And so the attitude is, why do I bother even trying? What's the point? You find fault with everything I do, or you never give praise. You never give praise where praise is due. It's like all I can never do is just mess up. And then you beat me up, and I just want to shut down, and I want to go away. My friends, I want to say something about this, because I know, I know that our culture is into uh, victimizing everything, and everyone's a victim. I want to say to you that sin is a miserable master. And we live in a fallen world, and everyone's a victim at some level. Was there anyone in this congregation, in this place today, ever raised by a perfect parent? Please raise your hand so that we can get their, their write, write the book on it. We are all messes, and we, we, we repent of our messes, we ask forgiveness of our messes, and then we turn right around and we do it to someone else. I have thought, I will not do what my father did. And I don't. I do my own stupid things. And I've had to go to my children and ask forgiveness for the stupid things that I have done, the stupid things I have said, for the callous attitude. I've had to go and ask forgiveness. And you know what that reminds me of? That I'm a sinner in need of a Savior, and they are sinners in need of a Savior, and together we are all going back to the Lord. The gospel makes truthful people. It makes us truthful about ourselves. It makes us truthful about other people. So that I can look at my father, I can look at my mother and say, what wonderful parents. And that's not me discrediting or saying that they didn't mess up in certain ways. They did. But it can't be helped because they were sinners saved by grace. And so when I look at them, I'm not digging up the past saying, what wretched parents I had. I look at them and say, what wonderful grace driven parents I had who needed the grace of the Lord Jesus just like I need the grace of the Lord Jesus to minister to my children and now my grandchildren. Do you understand what the gospel does and how it affects the family, how it affects the home? 
You need to be talking to your parents. You need to love your parents. You need to thank the Lord for your parents. And then you need to cover their sins with forgiveness, just as your sins are forgiven. It does nobody any good to pretend like we're all in the church and everyone's arrived and nobody's dealing with their sin. That's what keeps us locked up. That's what keeps our families hugely dysfunctional when we could just be minimally dysfunctional. But we're always going to be dysfunctional because we've always got sin. And where there is sin, grace abounds. I don't know any other way to live. And I, this is the way the apostle is instructing me. He's going to go on to slaves and masters and how the gospel applies to our work environment and how we ought to be dealing with one another. But you see the importance of this teaching our children that they're little sinners and little sinners need to flee to a great savior. And that daddy too was a big sinner and daddy had to flee to a great savior. Will you forgive me? Christ has forgiven me. Will you forgive me? And your children, they'll have to learn the same thing. That the works of the Lord are mighty and they're wonderful because in Christ he covered and canceled out all this sin and dealt with it faithfully. The gospel has impact on our homes, and it should have, and it can have. And some of you fathers need to go and ask forgiveness of your children because you've exasperated them. And you need to share with them how you need a Savior too. And you need to start being involved in their lives, and you need to hold on to your children and continue to teach them the things of the Lord. Let's pray. We thank you, Father, again for your word and pray that your blessing will be upon it as it rolls around in our hearts and minds. I pray that your truth, the truth of the gospel, would impact our homes, Father, where it would cause us to be forthright and honest about our failings, that it would provide opportunity for us as parents to rejoice in our Savior, that it would help our children see how we too have to rest in the Lord Jesus. Well, Father, we confess to you we are such a mess, one generation messing up another generation. But praise, we give praise to you uh, that in Christ these things are, are turned around, that sin is forgiven and sin is covered, and we have power to repent of our sin and to ask forgiveness and to rest in your salvation. Help us, Father, we pray humbly. We ask these things now in Jesus' name. Amen.